Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely role players, where theatrical people play role-playing games. Welcome back to the Merely Role Players replay. Matt, we're moving on to season two. Yes, we are, Josh. <laughs> thank, thank you for your confirmation. <laughs> season two, five stage a rescue. A spiffing and jolly fun adventure into the world of a Blighton-esque mystery, where Dave inadvisably and unnecessarily fires a flare into the sky, and where Starkey literally pisses a urinal off the wall. This season stars Ellie, Vicky, Starkey and Dave. A good fun season, this one. Really like this one. Really, really light and just silly and a nice core adventure and mystery. Yeah, and I, I specifically wanted... At this point, I was specifically looking for genres that I hadn't really seen done in actual play podcasts before. And the Enid Blyton type uh, cosy mystery, cosy seaside mystery, seemed like, first of all, like a um, quintessentially British genre, um, when a lot of the podcasts out there are American, Mm -hmm. um, and also just one that I hadn't seen done elsewhere. Well, I get yeah, I guess as well, like you say, it's quintessentially British. It's something that you won't have seen elsewhere. We later seasons obviously do dive more into the Americanized sort of Hollywood style genres of Wild West and spies and the rest. But this was just so wonderful. I mean, I've written down it's a perfect setting. Um, I've written Ellie in particular has big Blighton energy. Like <laughs> she, she, she fits very, very well. Um, so were there any other reasons why you chose this over a more widely recognised genre? Obviously, this isn't a genre, it's an author. Um, I've also written down here, um, Back to the Theatre. Yes. The Ferris Theatre off the coast of a southwest county somewhere. Yes. Um, definitely not influenced by the Minac in Cornwall. <laughs> oh, no. Very, very definitely and, and explicitly influenced by the Minac, and I'm happy to say it. Oh, sorry. Yes. Ripped off the Minac Theatre. <laughs> there we are. Um, uh, yes. And, uh, you know, this this was the premise of the whole Blackshaw saga was that it's always, or at least the early ones, was that we are always a theatre company of some description mm-hmm. and that the story hinges around you you are doing some sort of performance and something else genre specific is happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It's Again, it's that familial setting, but with um, an air of mystery and the unknown cloaked over it. Yeah. So I'm going to press play. Okay, you press play. The screen is black. Yeah. But there is sound. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And you hear, uh, coming from your phone, a voice that says... I mean, I understand why you did it, but uh, what are we go- what are we supposed to do with him now? Did you even think that through? Uh, and then a second second voice, uh, also male, uh, much deeper, says, "I don't know. What did you want me to do? Wait, I think he's." And then it cuts out. Um, before we move on, uh, it'd be remiss of me not to mention the two new players. Uh, as you've mentioned before, we have Ellie and Vicky returning uh, yeah. as, as the core. Um, the first of our two new players, uh, Chris Starkey. Yes, who, um, of all the players so far, is the only one who wasn't present at that initial like haunted house with the Shetland Pony game. Mm-hmm, indeed. So Ellie, Ellie, Vicky, Alex, Strat and Dave were all part of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starkey wasn't, but as I've mentioned in a previous replay episode uh he was my first dungeon master you never forget your first dungeon master <laughs> i'm looking forward to editing that down to just he was my first dungeon master and using that out of, uh, out of context um yeah so uh, starkey another um alumni of uh, royal holloway university of london where we all attended 
far yeah. too long ago. Yeah, another Holloway players improviser as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, yeah, um, a player and also a dungeon master, mm-hmm. um, as you say. A, a real a real gamer is what I've written down here. Um, anybody who's played games with Chris Starkey will be aware of how he likes his stats to be stacked, um, but also an, an excellent role player as well. Well, what I like about Starkey as a player is he he always knows what he wants out of his character. Yes. He, he comes to the table with like a clear idea and a concept in his head that he will want to play to. And that is a useful thing, you know, a gift to a to a game master because you know he's going to act in character and and push for those kind of character beats that he's got in his mind. And that is a way of moving the action forward always. And just a, a wonderful idea of having him as the leading man, wearing his wee willy winky <laughs> um, nightgown um, and going around asking people how his performance was. Yeah. And also, he is just a great person to have at the table for his out-of-character reactions as well. Yeah. There are there are moments late in Five Stage of Rescue where uh, we we reveal the antagonists, the smugglers, and their motivations, and Starkey's explosive reaction to the like very silly motivation of the of the the bad guy. It's the betrayal, it's, isn't yeah, it? It's the yeah, fact that he yeah. had them within his grasp, <laughs> and I know the noise that you're that you're referring to. I've heard him make it quite a few times. It's this no <laughs> noise, this big booming no. It's it's not it's not. But yes, it is that. But it's not just the betrayal of realizing that he knew and and didn't um, didn't pursue it, but it's when <laughs> when they start justifying themselves, saying like, "Oh well, you know, uh, the economy's down because of Brexit, so we had to we had to find a way to make ends meet." <laughs> and he's like, "Fight smuggling guns." <laughs> You're right. It was the it was the easy way. We thought. In a bad economy, what's a stable market? Gunsmuggling. <laughs> 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 I can tell you right now, it's not gunsmuggling. Actually, fish and chip van. Uh, cleaning no. theatres. No, tax accountant. Cleaning. Still, one of my favourite favourite player reactions to any kind of reveal I've given as a GM. One hundred percent, and it just adds more to his persona of old man Starkey. Um, which, for listeners who aren't aware, um, Chris always adopts um, the affectations um, and the personality of a man about thirty years his senior. Despite Chris, at time of recording, only being in his thirties, uh, he always seems to play characters that are in their late sixties for some reason. Yes, th- this is the exception to the thing I said about Starkey always knowing exactly what he wants from his character is that sometimes he will turn up saying I'm going to break from tradition this time and somehow still ends up being old man Stark. 100% he's like guys I'm not being old this time I'm just going to be me and then the first thing that comes out of his mouth every time is oh, oh, oh I don't know oh. um, fabulous welcome to the team Starkey um, another player who needs no introduction but I'm going to do one anyway uh, another force of chaos uh, Dave his first season you said he was at the Shetland Pony uh, Manor he was um, as I say, he brought an element of, of chaos and unpredictability. Uh, so uh, another Holloway alumnus, but not a, crucially not a drama person. No, I don't know if anybody knows this, but Dave doesn't like theatre. He barely mentions it, <laughs> but he's not a big fan of theatre, which meant that the setting of the Minak ripoff theatre was perfect for him, obviously. Uh, it was very easy for him to imagine why he would be in that situation, mm-hmm. um, because he'd been peer pressured by all his friends. Absolutely, 100%. Um, Dave is great fun to play with. I, I, my, my debut is in season four, Let's Get Gideon, and he is also in that season, and it's good to have someone 
somebody that can be very, very silly um, mm-hmm. and bring uh, such a fun element to the game. Um, I wrote a load of notes as I was listening to the episode and I've been able to put them all together and it reads almost like a poem. I've just written Dave's inability at searching for the missing props. Dave is constantly rolling snake eyes. Dave's flair. Dave drops Chris down the mineshaft. <laughs> so, like, we... we, we... Talk about Dave as being in terms of his his silliness mm-hmm. a lot, and and in terms of being kind of an agent of chaos. But Dave is like a much more of a veteran role playing game player than than certainly I am. Mm. I I don't know whether he sort of constantly had the experience, but he certainly played Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons a long time earlier than I did. And so while he he will take big swings and sometimes do things that are unexpected and that make his fellow players go why mm-hmm. it is very often in the service of making things happen and move so i've played i've i've gm'd dave in a dungeons and dragons campaign and basically the role that he played was the guy who goes and investigates the sound in the night like Oh, you see something that appears to be a lantern in the forest, and it's bobbing around. And oh, maybe it's somebody who's in trouble. And while the rest of the party is sitting there going, "Well, this is probably some sort of monster. Maybe it's bandits. What should we do? Let's observe carefully. Let's climb a tree. Let's uh, let's um, cover ourselves in mud, predator style." Dave's like, "I go over there and say hello. <laughs> I I run over there and take all my clothes off for some reason and dance around a fire." Yeah, which, you know, you can interpret as chaotic or you can interpret as having a very keen sense of story and how to make action happen. I think it's a level of genius on a plane that most of us yeah. just don't understand. It like makes a, sense somewhere. Like a, like a real out-of-character sense of the role of the character, the role the character is playing mm-hmm. in the story, even when playing himself. Indeed. So, yes, yeah, so Chris and Dave, the two new players to uh, this story, excellent additions to uh, this season and future seasons. Um, w- Matt, what did you think the introduction of these two new players brought as a whole to this season? Um, maybe a level of kind of... <laughs> the the word that comes to mind, is coming to mind is bombast, and that, that definitely applies mostly to Mr. Christopher Starkey. Mm-hmm. But... I guess, kind of forward drive and action. Like, we talked about Ariadne taking a little while to get going because people were kind of cautious to do things. Mm -hmm. And I think the addition of these two made things definitely happen and Mm. happen in big ways. 100%, yeah. There's there's, there's, uh, no problems with pacing in this season, for (laughs) sure. Um, And and also more potential for the characters not being kind of a cohesive unit. Like in Ariadne, everybody is on the same page about what they mm. want to do and they're working as a team. Um, and, you know, one falls down a hole and everybody tries to rescue them and that, that kind of thing. Whereas um, I think especially with Dave in the mix and, and Starkey as well, like I've said, Starkey has very clear ideas of what he wants his character to do in the story. Um, there was more potential for... Um, the cast to have not exactly conflicting but but slightly different motivations and approaches to things mm-hmm. and to not necessarily stay together as a group and plan mm-hmm. their approach as a as a unit and that leads for fascinating consequences doesn't yeah. it ultimately when you when you do fail dice rolls that's the opportunity for the best storytelling mm-hmm. potential as far as i'm Absolutely. concerned because it adds in more drama it adds in more 
um, obstacles that the players in this case need to overcome. And you're right, it's nice to see you know, players going off and, and doing their own thing and finding new avenues. Um, going back to the setting, we're obviously back in the familial setting of a theatre, but you've expanded it slightly. Mm-hmm. It's now a theatre built into the side of uh, a seaside cliff um, and you've got winding mine tunnels and mine shafts. There's an underground dock. There's the sea um, out from there. Did it feel good to be in a slightly bigger setting? You know, you, the players had more of a chance to spread their wings a little and, and leave the confines of the setting. Uh, of the yeah. theatre itself. Yeah, I mean, it was still contained in mm. that, you know, they, they weren't going to go running to the nearest town or... I mean, they probably could have made it to, like, an island or something if they'd wanted to. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it was kind of... Um, it's part of the genre that you need more areas to explore. Like, you can't really have that kind of Famous Five-style mystery in a single building. Absolutely. You need, you need to be able to find secret passages to unexpected places. You mm. need to be able to sort of open up new unexpected areas. Yeah. I think as well, it, um, I think it helped Chris and Dave, who are more, um, who have got a lot of experience playing dungeon crawlers, mm. to have that winding mine tunnels with a split in the in the path and then there's a drop down one side uh, of, of the tunnels um so it allows them to almost full click back into i grab my torch and i draw my sword and i explore and da, 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 whatever else and then when it comes time prop sword the prop sword yes and the wonderful performance um and also when it a bit later on in the series when there's a bit of conflict suddenly it does turn into let's spring an ambush because the goblins are walking down the road and we need to spring out and attack them um, was was that intentional? Did you want to? Did you were you looking for more of a uh, an old school adventure feeling to the second half of the series? Probably not consciously because I've never played an old old school dungeon crawler. It's not something that's really in my my vocabulary mm. in terms of games or, or dramatically. So maybe it's just a nice you know I was working from the genre more more than from kind of. Mm. Um, old school game styles so maybe it's just a nice coincidence yeah well it's wonderful as well in any um, rpg medium to see a very basic obstacle <laughs> in this case a mineshaft cause quite so much confusion and and the amount of time it takes to solve it it's it's the same as is the old critical role moment of a locked door was the toughest yeah. obstacle they had to face in however many seasons <laughs> um, having that mind mind shaft it just led to so many wonderful moments of I go down but then who's going to hold the thing oh I'll do it oh Dave holds it oh he dropped him oh Chris is on the way down oh we could do this and then oh someone's found another way around anyway so it doesn't matter this is going to be a plus plucky to see if you can hold to me yeah, maybe with doing Dave it? yes okay, God, they haven't got plus anyone two, sensible to advise the one how to plus do two. this come on no that's a nine, nine. so mixed ooh okay ooh how we Dave dies <laughs> <laughs> So you can lower Dave safely without damaging him, mm-hmm. but the the rope is going to slip through a little faster than it has been with the others, oh, no. and it's going to make a bit of a clatter when it gets to the bottom. Oh, no. like, and when I say bit, I mean like an almighty clatter. No. And it's like pretty scraping down the walls. <laughs> yeah. So we can make a noise, but Dave doesn't get hurt. So, well, so, <laughs> so, so the thing, so right, the the, the way it works with with falls the, off. <laughs> and it's nice in a fiction-first system like this to not have to like you don't have to calculate weight or distances or anything like that. It is all based on you know you you 
anything that you attempt, you could potentially succeed at, mm-hmm. as long as it's kind of a, a reasonable approach within the fiction that, that you've established. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's nice for you to just wave away and say, yep, that's fine, that works. Because yeah. as Dungeon Masters, I'm sure everybody listening that has been a DM will have had to Google the airspeed velocity of a falling halfling versus the fly speed of well, the I mean, fly spell at level three. That kind of puzzle specifically, you're getting into falling damage, which in so many role, like slightly more simulationist role-playing game systems, falling damage is always the deadliest kind of damage. That's what's going to finish you off. And actually, I just thought about this as you were talking about falling. I think that falling might be the biggest enemy that anybody <laughs> has had to face because Alex falls through a trapdoor, I fell off a cliff, yeah. Strat gets thrown in a hole in season three. In this one, they're falling down mine shafts. Yeah. Um, D- uh, Dave and Vicky both fall down nearly a bottomless pit in Parallax. And then Vicky falls down a hill in Prospero and Viola. <laughs> yes, Who'd very, have guessed that one? A very small hill. A wonderfully small hill. Yeah. The, uh, what's it called? The Parks and Rec. Uh, <laughs> gif of Leslie Nope rolling down the hill. Perfect. Let's move on to characters now. The the rostra of NPCs expands slightly in this one. We have a few more. Obviously, there's the missing twins and their father. There's a few members of staff that work at the theatre. Um, we've had a few questions, though, uh, mentioning two particular characters in particular who go on to be possibly, you know, some of the, the, the biggest bads of the entire <laughs> Blackshaw saga. Um, so this question from Ellie, for example. Uh, I remember this being so much fun to record. A big highlight was your portrayal of the cleaners, Kath and Enid. Uh, you do some excellent side characters. Um, were these amongst your favourites? Yes, I think they probably were. I was still at this point. Um, so in, in um, Ariadne, in terms of voice work, I had Errol, who has a very distinctive voice, and then the other two were just kind of like me with, with a slightly different timbre. And so this was when I was like, oh, suddenly I've got more characters than that. I need to start differentiating. Mm. So I had to start mining my brain for... Uh, regional UK accents. Well, regional UK accents. <laughs> and other Western like, voices. Or like people's accents that I know that I could mimic. Sure. Like um, the reason that the... Is she the theatre manager? Phoebe. I, yeah. Uh, no, not Phoebe. So the, the theatre manager in, um, in this one, in Five Stage of Rescue. Brianna. Yes. The reason why she is... French with that kind of international school accent is because I lived with someone with that accent at university and figured that I could probably mimic it to a reasonable standard Mm -hmm. rather than doing a like stereotypical horny 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 French accent. Yeah, she's a she's a French lady. Okay. Um, Bonjour. Bonjour. Bon nuit. Bonsoir. I look forward to this map. Now, did, did everyone... She lost her accent. <laughs> She's been She's in the country for twenty-five years. Oh, a Cornish French person, yeah. I love it. Because it, did everyone, did everyone enjoy the the now classic Ariadne Act One moment where I made a big deal of how I was going to do a voice, and then I didn't do a voice. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, we didn't yeah. like to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of affected a tone. Yeah. Yeah. It was a tonal change. Yeah. Is she going to be like, ah, oh, bonjour, bonjour, <laughs> 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 bonjour, bon nuit to you, ça va, bon nuit to me. <laughs> why don't why don't we find out? <laughs> okay. 
top tips for any GMs out there. If you want to come up with voices for characters, just do a really bad impression of a well-known voice, and yes. that will be fine. That will carry you through. I can't tell you the number of characters I've had that sound a bit like Christopher Walken, that sound a bit like Brian Blessed. Um, it, yeah, it's just a, a mine of voices there. Um, yeah. Kathanine, Enid, mm-hmm. who I believe are from an unspecified location in the north of England, yeah, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, little, little old Yorkshire ladies. Um, were they always supposed to be the villains? Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. So there yeah. would have been no dice roll at any point in the season that would have led to them being good guys. Being good people. Uh, like dice rolls could have led to them having a change of heart, maybe, mm-hmm. or being being manipulable mm-hmm. more than they turned out to be. But no, they were the they were always the masterminds. It was the, the double reveal of... Mm-hmm. There's a smuggler's boat with some with some smuggler men, typical smuggler men, generic it, goons, generic smuggler goons. Um, but then, who who were they doing the handoff to? Mm-hmm. It's always who you least expect. It's the cleaning ladies, <laughs> and just perfect that it was Chris that had had the conversation with yeah. them before. A slightly weird, slightly sexually flirtatious <laughs> conversation over a cigarette, yeah. um, but that he got to have that conversation, and then he found out later on in the season. Fabulous. They light their cigarettes with your with your windbreak. Can he roll for additional trust for cleaning ladies? <laughs> I think you don't even need to roll. I think you automatically... Uh, cleaning so, ladies plus two. Yeah. Just for now, because you haven't even asked their names, oh, just yeah. cleaning lady A and B, and they're both on a plus two for you now. <laughs> what a Great. charmer. Wow. And I'm like, oh, hello, ladies. How's it going? Oh, thank, thanks, dearie. <laughs> Oh. Uh, we're just. Uh... Oh, you're older than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get close. I just want to say that if either of them had been a man, we would be referring to them as the cleaning lady and gentleman. Yes. So this is another game that you've run that's within broadly the mystery genre, right? So um, season one had the mystery of who are the ghostly audience? Where have they come from? How do we get rid of them? This season is more of an old school. Direct route one mystery. Where are the missing kids? What are the smugglers doing? What are they smuggling? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Do you think that there's a, a challenge with trying to run a, a Blighton-esque mystery through a role-playing game and a cohesive narrative podcast? Specifically uh, in a role-playing game in this kind of system, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is something that designers are still finding solutions to, and that. It worked fine in this one, I think. And then in uh, Amnesty was when I first started really having um, developing thoughts about how mystery and uh, finding solutions to things like that can really work in this system. Because it, Powered by the Apocalypse wants to put a lot of power in the player's hands to influence events and to, and to, and to sort of change the world in a way that more trad kind of role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons will always have the GM being the single source of truth on that. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, you want a lot, with Powered by the Apocalypse systems, you want a lot more power with the players to say, I believe that this element of the story that you've dropped in is important. And by the player saying that, it becomes important. Mm-hmm. So running a kind of mystery with a a pre-decided solution butts up against that aspect of the system mm-hmm. in a way. So to give you uh, an example, um, if a character was searching for a trail and they thought that what is an unimportant mm-hmm. item was super important, yeah. 
they roll a 10, they get full success. They say, Matt, what is this I want? You know, <laughs> g- give me something good as a reward for my roll. Yeah. And you say, I have to say, it's just a bucket. It's yeah. just a lampshade. It's just yeah. a whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe you parlay that into a success by saying, oh, that the, the bucket's not important. But in investigating the bucket, you see the crack in the wall mm-hmm. that actually is what I was hinting at. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, it's not as satisfying for the player to go, oh, oh, I, I really thought that this was the way that it works and it and it isn't. No. So, like, this was one that I probably, like, thinking back at it, may have overplanned a little bit. Like, I had full-on puzzles for this one. Like, I have notes about all of the labels of the different flight cases Amazing. in the prop store and what they all are supposed to contain. For the benefits of the listeners, Matt has got his uh, original <laughs> notebook in front of him with all sorts of uh, wonderful notes uh, and puzzles written down. Uh, flight case one, flight case two, etc. written yeah. down on that page. Yeah, so we had a, there was a part of the mystery in this one was, um, so the, the, the cleaning ladies are running guns and uh, they have used a switch with the prop guns in the, prop store of the theatre as a way of covering their tracks Mm -hmm. so that they've been smuggled in a flight case has been swapped Mm -hmm. a flight case full of fake guns has been swapped with a flight case full of real guns and they've taken the real guns out in their cleaning Mm -hmm. lady van um, Which I think Ellie and Vicky both latched onto yes. quite early, and that was their focus of determin- determination. It was like noticing for a while. the there was an anomaly in the labelling. That's that right. Was, that was the hint that you know something is not quite right here. You don't quite know what it is at that point, mm-hmm. like what this what this signifies. But then later on, you get the pieces of the puzzle that allow it to click. So I think it worked in this case, but I think we were lucky that it worked, mm-hmm. and there were you know there were other details that people could have latched onto. That could have meant that it would would have been a less satisfying mystery. Mm, absolutely, and ultimately, it could have been ruined had a more headstrong player just <laughs> said, "Oh, I investigate that tunnel. I go, I go down the mine shaft, whatever it might be." If they just happened upon it, if they'd rolled well, and you'd allowed them to just go and do yeah. whatever they well, wanted to do. Well, I mean, there's sort of a, a a linear way through the mystery. Right? Mm, there's of a, course, you you you're looking for the missing kid. You follow the missing kids movements that leads you to the prop store that leads you to the secret passage that leads you to the boat Mm -hmm. that eventually if you discover the secrets leads you back up to the uh, ground level to the cleaning ladies again Mm -hmm. Um, and that is kind of you know we followed that route but with some detours along the way and some good deduction as well like you say you have four players who are approaching it in four completely different ways they might be working together at certain moments but ultimately they've all got an idea because it can be at times if you're a player and you haven't quite got the key, you haven't quite got the answer to to the riddle, to part of the mystery, it can be a bit like being stuck in an escape room with no idea what's going on. You're yelling at the person by the escape room, please help us, give us a clue. We're saying, Matt, give us a clue on this. And But I think it's nice that you craft a scenario where that didn't come up at all. There was no, there weren't really that many dead ends. Everybody yeah. contributed in their own way. They're all going their own separate ways, and you you give them a treat. You give them a reward. Yeah, and you I are think Pavlov. It's <laughs> <laughs> Here's your treat. Ding ding ding. Um, and I was learning to use NPCs, uh, supporting characters for that in this one as well. So um, the supporting characters were not all that helpful in Ariadne, and that was part of why that was slightly slower start. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this one, I think you can tell that. I am deliberately trying to remedy that at the start of Five Stage Rescue mm-hmm. because we have 
a character come up to our main cast and say, hey, a child is missing. Can you look for them for me, please? And that mm-hmm. gives you the initial action to start things off, which we were lacking in Ariadne. Yeah, that was the theatre manager who was I helping to begin with. So, Brianna, wasn't yeah. it? I have made notes of the NPCs. Um, speaking about Brianna, you say that, yes, it's good that she is presented as a, a positive character, somebody that's assisting and helping. And yet still, in the paranoid minds of <laughs> players, whenever an NPC is introduced, your mind instantly goes to, they're going to betray me. They are the big bad. And so that's why the helpful Brianna up to this point was incapacitated by Chris Starkey right at the end and, and was locked in a room so she couldn't help out. <laughs> Yeah, I think everybody was burned by Tess from Ariadne turning out to be... Well, in yes. fact, Tess, Tess and B both in Ariadne turned out to be hiding stuff. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> maybe set people up to treat every supporting character with suspicion. Well, you seem trustworthy, so we're going to leave these miners with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give... I give I'm, I'm, I'm CRB checked. <laughs> I give... I am, Good enough for me. I'm, I'm going to break... Brianna's wheelchair so, so that she can't escape. Roll wayward. Take you way with some bitch. Just to say that, you know, because she's obviously not a good person. And I, I don't want to leave her with these two teens. And, you know, you can take everyone. I want to slow her down. <laughs> just lock her in a different room to them. I think that just happens. I think regardless of what you do, if you create an create an NPC as um, a, a games master, certainly the players I've played with, and maybe I just know a load of paranoid folk, but there's always that question of why is this person being nice? I roll insight. Are they lying? Because every player, right, every player has been burned by an NPC <laughs> before. And they all say the same thing. Never again. I will not allow this to happen. And in this case... Chris was burned by Kath and Enid and so instantly distrusted everybody. It's interesting that the supporting characters who do have something to hide are the hardest to play mm. because the reason they have something to hide is always because like, you want the players to discover it at some point. You mm. want that reveal of, ah, oh, this person was lying and they mm. do a heel turn and they're a baddie all along. Yeah. But keeping in my head... This is what this person knows and what their motivation is, but this is what they're saying. And it and you know, the the lie on top of that is just another layer of stuff to keep track of that mm. leads to lots of thoughtful pauses while I work out how characters would respond. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest one um is probably we'll get to Codename Mosaic, Gossamer from Codename Mosaic. Yes who has a lot to hide and doesn't necessarily always know herself what she's hiding and what she knows, was probably the hardest to, to play in that. And that's a hell of a challenge for you as a games master, but also as an actor <laughs> and a voice actor, to portray that level of detail. Yeah, how much to... Uh, and I will always err on the side of giving information out because mm-hmm. there's no point being like... You know, even on a bad role, you don't want to be like... Well, you just don't find anything out because then what do you do? You just hit a brick wall and you have to turn around and try something else. So I'll always err on the side of, yes, you find something out, but it's bad mm. for you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what you wanted to hear, but it gives you somewhere to go. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll always want characters to drop information more than they withhold. But I think maybe I hadn't quite got there at this point. Mm-hmm. Although I think, it, I think it worked out all right. I think it worked excellently. My my other question here is, generally speaking, how do you think this season went? You know, there's that old adage of difficult second season after a successful first season. 
it was very different to season one in terms of the pacing and the tone at times. And obviously you are developing not only as a games master, but as a producer, you know, maybe the audio quality is better between seasons as you upgrade equipment and you learn things and you go into quieter rooms to record and whatever else. But how, how do you think as a second season this came across? I think this one's. A, I think this is a good one. Um, I think you could almost think of um, like Ariadne as the pilot season and this is the first season proper, mm-hmm. first production proper. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, so I know we recorded Ariadne on a Zoom H2 or H. N4 or something like that, um, and then upgraded to the Yeti, and I think Five Stage Rescue is the first one on the on the Yeti, so you can probably hear a difference in the audio quality. Mm-hmm. And also, I just think um, like it it got going quickly, and the uh, Vicky and Ellie both knew what they were doing because they'd done one already, and they they had things from the first season that they wanted to do differently and pursued those things, and I think you can see the the change in in energy and yeah i think it all it, this one came together really well it, it did. hit all the beats that i wanted it to like mm-hmm. everybody found all the bits that i wanted them to yeah and there were good unexpected things as well which is one of the key things that i want as a as a as a gm and as a producer as a producer you want good content right yeah, ultimately yeah. and you've got great content for this one i was reading through old messages on the uh, merely role players whatsapp group um and also re-listening to some of the backstage after uh, backstage episode of this season and it was all overwhelmingly positive everybody just seems to have had a really really good time recording it yeah, um i think and we all we all came out of it going oh yeah yeah this is what it can be we, we, can, we, can, we can do this 100 percent, yeah um and it was obviously good enough that um obviously ellie and vicky continued coming back but dave and chris also came back for yeah. later seasons as well so well done you ah oh, self-aggrandizing pat on the back <laughs> all around everybody but uh, to move the story forward, <laughs> you don't find Alfie in the gen, okay. uh, or any sign of him. Do you have a wee? <laughs> we want to roll plucky for wee. <laughs> How forceful the wee is! <laughs> that is an eleven twelve. <laughs> it's a pretty forceful wee. You blast the arrival off the wall. <laughs> A tsunami. <laughs> Oh, was that a total fail you just rolled for sensible there you get to add one to one of your attributes whichever one you feel like max out the pluck oh heck you're Yikes. so plucky so that actually I rolled a 13 then for pluck you <laughs> <laughs> knocked the back wall off the <laughs> Alfie's behind the wall <laughs> in the cavity the secret passage <laughs> lashings of <laughs> ginger piss <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. well, it's just as well I'm not very, going for a clean rating on very it. dehydrated <sighs> okay we've talked plenty about um, season 2 let's move on to Matt's stats talk us through the um, three stats here plucky, sensible and wayward before you start Excellent names. I'm so totally on board. Wonderful how you came up with Blighton-esque um, words that also have real-world mechanical application in this genre. I, I want to see if I can find it so I can show you the the number of different options I went through oh for goodness. this. So, yeah, I have a whole page of... Is that... Yeah, that's for this one. Oh, my God. Of uh, different possible words that could have been stats for this one. I love it. So I'm reading curiosity, resolve, luck, moral, obedient. Oh, not, not much obedience in this season. <laughs> Guts. 
but you know thinking about the archetypal famous five characters like you have the like the sensible one you mm-hmm. have like Anne who I had a had a conversation with Chris McLennan who turns up in later seasons um about the famous five and how Anne is is the cop of the yeah. of the group yeah she's the one most likely to shop the rest of them to to their parents mm-hmm. and that actually came out of um I read a famous five choose your own adventure book once where there was a section where you're sort of in Anne's perspective and Anne is tired because they've the, the group have been out all night chasing smugglers um, and is trying to hide it at the dinner table and one of the choices is just do you do you stifle the yawn or do you just not do you just <laughs> let it out it's like you and if you let it out it's like your parents discover that you've been out and they ground you <laughs> Fantastic. Like, because, because Anne is the most likely to do that, yep. to make the conscious choice to do that. 100%. So back to your yeah. uh, character sheet. Uh, what are we calling season two? Now, this is Matt Stages of Rescue. Matt Stages of Rescue. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't get Matt in the word stages of <laughs> rescue. It's a tricky, <laughs> tricky pun job. Um, so your three stats, sensible, plucky, and wayward. Uh, you have three scores again, one, mm-hmm. zero, and minus one. Uh, where do you think they're going to be put? This is this is this is tricky. Mm. How plucky are you? How yeah, wayward? How wayward? I think I'm probably not very wayward, so that's probably the low one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm probably going to end up. Yeah, I'm probably going to end up sensible. Sensible one. Mm-hmm. Plucky zero. Wayward minus one. Okay, interesting. Well, let's see what your castmates think. Uh, I have gone straight to plucky and sensible Vicky for this one. <laughs> I asked her what would Matt's stats be. She's given you a sensible one, a plucky minus one, Ooh. and a wayward zero. Okay, she not thinks, a clean sweep this not time. Not a clean sweep this time, only one correct answer. Um, so she thinks that you're more uh, wayward than you are plucky. She thinks you lack pluck, <laughs> I can see that, actually. I asked her uh, what were your reasons, and she said, uh, in a rescue situation, Matt would be a great team member because of these stats. We don't need any more people firing flare guns or pissing urinals off walls. <laughs> That's what people remember about that series, is, is piss and flare. I want to I wanted just specify here, he mm-hmm. pissed the urinal through the wall. He pissed it backwards. He pissed, it so, he pissed so hard that the urinal was smashed through the wall and came out the other side. There we are, ladies and gentlemen, a reminder that in role-playing, anything is possible <laughs> if you roll well enough. Um, we then moved on on your sheet here. Uh, what would Matt's Blyton-esque signature move be? Mm. Uh, this is great. She's named it Lashings of Ginger Beer. <laughs> With the ability, Matt sensibly always has just what the team needs in his pack. Mm. So I can, I can see, see, can see a, a Matt character running around with a little little satchel or a yeah. side, side bag or something like that. Um, what do we need? No problems. I've just got it right here. Um, which is a, a great ability across all, all systems. Um, happy with that? Yeah. Last one. When would Matt be in his element in this series? Uh, so uh, being in your element in this uh, in this series uh, or in, in this system uh, is a way for you to get a bonus um, plus one to your role, correct? Yeah, a kind of a passive buff in certain situations, yeah. So give us an example. When, when would one be in their element? So uh, I think one of the ones that came up a lot was like when you are off on your own. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sort of as a as an encouragement for people to split the party, uh, whenever you are alone without the other player characters, you get plus one to all rolls. Nice. 
so Vicky has assigned you your element. You would be in your element when you have had a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and in brackets, she's written not Bovril, presumably. <laughs> Are you a fan of Bovril, Matt? Have we decided this? Have we talked about this? I am not a fan of Bovril uh, as a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been no. Uh, I had a period as a as a younger person uh, where I did use it as a sandwich spread. That sounds revolting. <laughs> Can I just? <laughs> did you not have any marmite very, in the house? Very savoury. I hate marmite. But you like Bovril. <laughs> I did you then. Are, you were an enigma. You're an absolute enigma. Um, and also uh, to. Uh, Enrich the flavours of sauces. Okay, like a stock you know, as a cooking ingredient. Yeah. Okay, although only because um, I have a jar of bovril in my kitchen cupboard as we speak. Mm-hmm. Only because um, I bought a jar to have on the table when we presented at Pod UK right. in Birmingham as a way to attract people as a discussion piece. Okay, you know, people would come up and say, "Why have you got a jar of bovril on the table?" Mm-hmm. And we would talk about. Errol. And then you said uh, an offhanded comment I made when <laughs> introducing a character has led this being a key piece of law. Yep. Uh, and so I still have that jar of bovril in. So that was 2020. Well, that was the expiry Jan- date. No, no, no. January oh. 2020 was when Pod UK was. And that jar of bovril is still in my cupboard. So that gives you an indication of how much of it I use. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe we'll do a competition one day. Win Matt's bovril. <laughs> uh, that sounds revolting. Might have expired by then. Yeah, absolutely. It will be an antique by then. Uh, Matt, thank you very much. You have filled in your, your sheet for Matt Stages of Rescue. You're ready to play. <laughs> This has been Replay, a backstage episode from Merely Roleplayers. It was created, researched and hosted by Josh Yard, and the editing, music and production were by me, Matt Boothman. If you have a question about any Merely Roleplayers production from Parallax onwards, tweet it at Merely Roleplay on Twitter, or email it to merelyroleplayers at gmail.com and it could be featured in an upcoming replay episode. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on! Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are Merely Roleplayers. A theatrical book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take no, no, refuse, refuse. I have to, I have to run it in my head every time I say it. Honestly, you've done it hundreds of times, and I have to do it once.